right, so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is a famous passage about the Lord's Supper where he, Paul is basically uh, calling out this church because they were kind of making a mess out of something that was very important, very sacred. We see in verse 17, it says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that ye come together not for the better but for the worse. So the chapter starts out, he's kind of praising them for some things that they did that was good. But now when he gets to this part, he's like, now what you're doing right here is not good. And we've got a problem here. And he's going to proceed to rebuke them for what was going on in their observation of the Lord's Supper. And so tonight, uh, continuing on this series, Decently and in Order. And in this series, uh, Decently and in Order, the things that we're covering, the things that we are showing, is we are showing how, one, when it comes to many things in the Bible, there are not always spelled out commands. But there are certain principles that should be followed. But when it comes to the specifics, God has authorized the church to decide what to do on some of these things. And whatever we decide to do, we ought to, we ought to do these things in a decent and in an orderly way. There ought to be some structure to it. And when it comes to the Lord's Supper, I don't believe that we have these super clear instructions on what needs to be done in the Lord's Supper. But at the same time, the old IFB has been fighting over the Lord's Supper for years. Now, I had no idea that this was ever really an issue uh, with the Lord's Supper, but when I was ordained, when I, uh, on my ordination, they had the private meeting uh, where the preachers were all back there, and the first time I ever got asked this question was at my ordination, and they asked me what my position was on the Lord's Supper. And I was like, what, what exactly do you mean by that? And they said, well, are you open, closed, or close? And I was like, you know, I'm thinking, you know, define open, close, and closed. I wasn't familiar with those terms, you know. I mean, now, and then they're like, so open means just anyone can take the Lord's Supper that's in the service. Closed means church members only. And close means someone who is of like faith that's in your church could also take it. So if we had, you know, if we had a visitor from another church that's of like faith and practice and we're taking the Lord's Supper, we would let him do it too. And so they asked me about that. I was like, well, you know, I've never really thought about that. But I said, I would have to say I would, I would be a closed communion guy. And that is the policy of our church here. That is what we do in our church. It is a closed thing that is for members only. Now, we're going to probably be talking about membership and what the deal is with that in the next, probably next week, maybe the week after. I don't want to get sidetracked on that. But at the same time, while that is always been my position since I've been asked, it's never been a big deal. It was, it was never a big deal. And they were all fine with that. Most of those guys, I think, were closed communion people. But I remember later, um, right after I started the church, I went to a church planners conference in Missouri. And there were people there that gave money towards our ministry. And there was, some, there was one guy who said he was going to send our church a check, you know, to just help support it and everything. And then I remember after I got back, he called me up and he's like, yeah, Pastor Tommy, I forgot to ask you about this. He said, but before I can send you a check, I have to ask you this. And I said, what is your position on the Lord's table? And, you know, and I was like, what do you mean? You know, and he's like, well, you know, are you open? I was like, well, we're closed. And he's like, okay. Because if you weren't, I wouldn't be able to send you this check. 
And I was just thinking, well, that's kind of weird, you know. But in that crowd, it was a huge deal. A few months later, we went to Heartland uh, Baptist College where they had a big church planning conference. Me and some of my preacher friends went. And they had a meeting where they got all the preachers that were interested in presenting their work and trying to raise support or whatever. They wanted to talk to all of us and make sure you know, we were right on a few positions. And these were the things that they said. You need to be King James. You can never have been divorced. And you've got to be closed communion. And, okay, you know, I'm good on all those things, but I was like, wow, they're really making a big deal about this closed communion thing. And I found out, man, in that crowd, if you're not closed communion, they won't fellowship with you. They will not let you preach behind their pulpit. I mean, they make a huge deal about it. And the thing is, I was with three other guys, and we never asked each other that question before, but, you know, one of them was closed communion that I was with, but he was like, I didn't know it was a big deal. That's just what we do. And my biggest reasoning for being closed communion is just because of the fact that I do believe it's for saved people, for baptized people, and things like that. Well, the truth is, I don't always know everything about people who come and visit. If, now, if another church has a closed communion position, I don't have a problem with that. But at the same time, a lot of churches, especially other religions, they think taking communion is part of a sacrament that you've got to do to go to heaven. So I don't want someone to come visit our church just because communion's going on, and then them come in thinking this is going to help me get into heaven or something like that. So it's like, you know, I just don't know, and I don't have time to question everybody on their beliefs. So we just do it that way. And we don't, we've never told people, you can't take the Lord's Supper with us. The way we do it, we say, hey, we're observing communion tonight. We are closed communion, so you won't insult us if you don't take it. So I don't tell them you can't have it. I just tell them you won't insult us if you don't take it. Because a lot of times people get very bent out of shape if they get excluded from that. If they're like, you can't take it. It's like we're treating them like dirt, you know, like they're not saved, something like that. No, it's just, you know, it's something that's for our local church. Because here's the thing too. There are no two churches. Well, there are two churches that do it exactly the same, but it's usually ones that are like from that Heartland Association. Because if you don't do it exactly the way that they do, they'll throw you out. And I'm going to show you some of the scriptures they use to get really crazy on some of this stuff. But either way, I say all that to say, this is not something that we should break fellowship over other churches with. This is not something to get overly contentious about and just make big stinks about, yet people do it and that kind of junk has been going on in the IFB for years and I've always stayed out of it. That's just, I'm, I'm always ready to get in a fight when it's a doctrinal thing, but when it's come to this issue of the Lord's Supper, I'm like, you know, I don't, that is not worth fighting over another church for. Just because that guy does the Lord's Supper a little differently, I'm still going to fellowship with him. Okay, he lets people that are, you know, that believe like them do it when they're not a church member. I don't care. That really doesn't bother, it really doesn't bother me. But in some crowds, it does. And I think that's foolish. And so I want to show you real quick, before we go through 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to show you some common mistakes that people make when teaching on the Lord's Supper. Because these, this is where people often get real goofy in the Lord's Supper. And I don't think I'm like a liberal in the Lord's Supper. Okay? I'm not. I don't, I'm not going to admit to be liberal in anything except giving. All right? And I'm probably lying when I say I'm liberal in giving because <laughs> I'm kind of a tightwad too. So I mean, I'm not a liberal at all. Even in areas where we're allowed to be liberal, I'm just, I'm just not. But so what the first mistake people make 
when they're trying to figure out how to do the Lord's Supper. Because once again, the instructions aren't super clear. What they do is one, they compare it too much with the Passover. Okay? You've got to be careful with that. Because first off, remember the, I believe the Lord's Supper is a replacement of the Passover, but it's not the Passover. The Lord's Supper is not the Passover. Because here's the thing. For every one thing that you can show me that is similar to the Passover, I can show you ten things that are different. There's a lot that's different about the Lord's Supper than the Passover. So don't you go pull one thing that you like from the Passover that the New Testament never mentions and then demand that that be part of it. That, all right, that's out of line. Now, if when a church is trying to figure out how they want to do it, if they want to take some things themselves from that, it's like, well, they, you know, they did this, then go ahead and do that. If you want to hold a staff in your hand while you're taking the Lord's Supper like they did at the Passover, go for it. Right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to tell you you can't do that, but don't tell me I, we have to hold staffs when we do it. Don't tell me we have to eat it in haste like they did. Don't tell me we have to put blood of a lamb over our doorpost. Okay, because we definitely don't have to do that. But you see where people, they'll take things, look what they did there. That's how it's supposed to be done. Wrong. Wrong. That's not right. You know, to get dogmatic, you know, how the Lord's Supper should be practiced based on something from the Passover, it's, it's a foolish way to interpret scriptures. And it's going to get you, you're going to be inconsistent and you're going to get real goofy. And in reality, the, Lord's Supper is not a replacement of the Passover. Actually, the body of Christ is the replacement of the Passover. It says in 1 Corinthians 5-7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So the Lord's Supper is not the Passover. Now the Passover in the Old Testament, it was looking forward to the body of Christ. There's no doubt about that. I mean, the symbolism, it's just, it's all over the place. You can't help but see it. But the Lord's Supper, it is a look back on the body of Christ. It's a look back. It's a look back on the Passover. Not the Old Testament Passover, but Jesus Christ, our Passover. So when you look back at the Old Testament Passover to figure out how to do the Lord's Supper, you're looking back too far. I'm looking back at the replacement of the Passover, Jesus Christ, our Passover. That's what we need to do. So I'm not going to get my comparisons so much from what I get see in the Old Testament. I'm going to go more off what I see in the New Testament and at the Last Supper. And even then, you can go too far. I'll show you how that can be done here in a little bit too. Because truth, this if the Passover is a diagram for how it should be done, then you know what we got to stop making fun of Sluter and his Seder dinner that he does. And, and truth is, you know, we all know that that's out of line, and they've taken that too far. So that's the first thing. They compare, people compare it too much with the Passover. Second, they get sloppy and inconsistent in their interpretation of Acts. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. Because right? they make assumptions. All right? people, once again, people like to go to the book of Acts. Oh, look at what they did. This is what we've been commanded to do. No, actually that just says what they did. And why don't we ask ourselves this question, why did they do that? You know, what, what was the reason? Sometimes you've got to actually go and you've got to just back up and say, wait a minute, is this, Passover, or is this passage explaining the Lord's Supper? Or is this talking about something else and it's just mentioned in there? You've got to do that kind of thing. So look, in Acts 2.40, it says, "...and with many other words that he testified and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. 
Then they that gladly received His Word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Okay, now when was this? When did that happen when 3,000 souls got saved? On the day of Pentecost. This is, that is the day the church gets empowered by the Holy Ghost. Okay, that day. So we are like in day one of the empowering of the church. Not in the beginning of the church, but in the empowering of the church. In day one. And then it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear of them came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So notice here, they were doing the Lord's or they were breaking of bread from house to house. So some will use this to teach Lord's Supper is supposed to be done only in houses. That's how they did it in the book of Acts. All right, well, here's the thing, a few things we've got to look at. The church is just getting started. It's just getting established. They were meeting in the temple daily. Now, do we meet daily in the temple? And what was the temple then? That was the temple in Jerusalem. Now, how long did they continue that practice? Not real long, because persecution came, didn't they? And they drove them all out. But when things were first getting started, when things were just getting established, what is this teaching here? Is this teaching how we're supposed to do things forever? Or is this just telling us what happened? This is what happened is they were meeting daily in the temple. They were breaking a bread from house to house. And you know what else they were doing from house to house? They did... Um, I lost my spot. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking a bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added the church daily, such as should be saved. You know what they also people also do with this passage because it says they were from going from house to house? They use this to teach we're supposed to have house churches. They'll teach that church buildings are unbiblical. Brian Denlinger. Okay? Well, if Acts 2, when the church is just getting established and we're reading a passage is just showing us what happened, if that equals house church, or if that equals Lord's Supper only in church or in houses, then shouldn't house church be legit too? Because we ain't got the temple anymore. Our body is the temple, the Bible says. So you see how you can't do that. Alright? And here's the other thing too. There is you know there there's it's possible that the breaking of bread here now, I don't know this, but it's possible that it's not even talking about the Lord's Supper. Because what is it that we still like to do today when we fellowship? Eat. Okay. When you go over to somebody's house usually to fellowship, what do you typically do? You eat. What is it just polite to do in pretty much all cultures when somebody comes to your house? Would you like something to eat? That's how we fellowship. That's how people have always fellowshiped. Breaking of bread could just mean, and that term breaking of bread has been used over the years too as just a term for fellowship. You know, we broke bread this morning or this afternoon. Now, I didn't break any bread. 
this afternoon. But what we did do, we did eat together. We did fellowship together. That very well could be what it's talking about because in Luke chapter 24, in verse 30, it says, And it came to pass as He sat at meat with them, He took bread and blessed it and break and gave it them. This is after He's been on the road to Emmaus with these two men who were not the twelve of the twelve disciples, but were other followers of Christ. They Remember, they didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't recognize Him. While they're walking along the way, He's telling them about Himself, all the things in the Scriptures concerning Him. And so they get done and they're sitting down and they're breaking bread. And He gave to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew Him and vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while He talked with us by the way and while He opened up to us the Scriptures? And they arose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way. And look, and how He was known of them in breaking of bread. Okay? Now, why is that significant? Well, all that's saying is when He broke the bread and gave it to them, that's when they realized who He was. But let me ask you this. Was Jesus performing the Lord's Supper here? No, he wasn't. So then why were they breaking bread? Well, here's why. You know why they were breaking bread? Because it was still the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That was still going on. So breaking bread, the unleavened bread, was something they just still would have been doing. Okay. Either way, is that passage teaching us about the Lord's Supper? Or is this just telling us what happened? It's telling us what happened. And the breaking of bread there, I think it... It wasn't. They definitely weren't doing the Lord's Supper there. So I'm just showing you this to show in this passage right here, the breaking of bread was not the Lord's Supper. It could have been in Acts, but it may have just meant fellowship. But either way, to get dogmatic about the practice of the Lord's Supper from that passage in Acts, I believe is out of line. I think that's I think that's being very sloppy in your interpretation of the scriptures, and we should probably go tell Brian Denlinger we're sorry for making fun of him. And I'm not sorry for making fun of Brian Denlinger because he's wrong and an idiot. Okay, but I don't want to I don't want to follow his practices in my Bible interpretation. So, you know, the reason it was going from house to house is probably because the church was just getting started. Certain things had not been established yet. We're only in Acts chapter two. They haven't even left Jerusalem yet. So it was. Just what was happening. That's all we're seeing there. So if this is a biblical mandate, so we owe we owe a lot of weirdos an apology. And truth is, right now turn over Acts chapter twenty. Let me show you here. We actually see them breaking bread in a church service. Now I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that they were taking the Lord's Supper in this service because the truth is this passage isn't trying to teach us about the Lord's Supper. This is just telling us what happened. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. Now, you know who else likes to use this verse? The church of Christ likes to use this verse to prove we do it every week. Because look what it says. On the first day of the week, they came together to break bread. That means when we come together every week, it's to break bread. It's to do the Lord's Supper. Are we really going to do, do we really think we should do the Lord's Supper every week? Just because of what we read there in verse Acts, in that verse in Acts, or should we just read that verse in Acts and just say this event that we're reading about happened on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread? That's what we're supposed to do. But are we sure that's the Lord's Supper? Are we sure they didn't just come together to fellowship? I mean, that could be because what this story is about 
is about how Paul preached unto them, ready to part of the martyr, and he continued his speech until midnight. And when Paul preached till midnight, somebody in the service did a lot of what you would do in the service. They fell asleep. And they fell from a window. And they died. And Paul raised them from the dead. That's what the story is about. And so just because the details mentioned in there about what they were doing, people are going to come up with a doctrine to teach that you have to have the Lord's Supper every week. Folks, if we have the Lord's Supper every week, everybody's going to start hating the Lord's Supper. It's going to become boring. It's going to be something that there's not going to be anything special about it. I don't believe it ought to be done every week. But at the same time, people are teaching that based on Acts chapter 20, verse 7. That is out of line. That's the kind of thing that people do when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Don't let, don't let people do that to you. Breaking of bread in that passage very well could have been the Lord's Supper, but it could have been them just coming together to fellowship. And then they're like, you know what, Paul? Hey, we're here we are. We're all together. How about you preach to us? That very well could be. So, uh, turn over to John 20, verse 19. So another thing people do, they often get overly literal on how things should be based on the Last Supper. We can't do that either. Now, this, now I could be missing something. If I'm missing something and somebody lets me know, if I get corrected after church, I won't be mad at you. But I went and I read every example of the Last Supper in the Gospels. I couldn't find anything. I did, I did searches online. I have been told many times by hardcore closed communion people that one of the, you know, when I, because I, I asked, I was talking to a preacher one time who's preached here before who's hardcore on the closed communion. And said, and I, told, I, I agree, but I said, I don't really see why it's a big deal. And, and I have had, and he told me this verse. And other people have told me this verse. They said, if you go and you look in the Last Supper, you know what the Bible says? It mentions that they closed the door. And I was like, really? Doesn't it? Maybe it just means they closed the door. Maybe it's just trying to show how you know it was a private. But no, right? That I'm telling you, that's their verse they use for closed communion. Well, I went. And read, I can't find where they closed the door in the Last Supper. I can't find it. Now I could have been just missing it. I might have missed it, but I can't find it. I think it was this verse right here though. In John 20, verse 19. This is not the Last Supper. This was after the resurrection of Christ. And it says, "...in the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be unto you." Now, were they there doing the Lord's Supper? No, they were assembled for fear of the Jews. And the reason the Bible mentions that the door was shut is because it was a miracle when the door was shut and all of a sudden Jesus is in the middle of the room. That's what that's about. Now, maybe I'm wrong. All right? And if I'm wrong, correct me. I'm, I, I never went and looked for it before. I just assumed it was there. I had so many people tell me that the Bible says when they were doing the Last Supper, the door was shut. And I know one church in particular that literally when they take the Lord's Supper... They close the door. They lock the door. They put a sign on the door that says, Observing the Lord's Supper, members only. And like, if tonight, if we were doing the Lord's Supper, we've got visitors here tonight, we would have, we'd have had to ask, Hey, I'm sorry, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Y'all are going to have to hit the road. (laughs) Now, I think that's taking it too far. And if they're taking it that far over the door being closed in John 2019, the folks, that's just ridiculous. 
And even if they're going on, even if I did miss a verse somewhere in the Last Supper where it shows the door being closed, is that really we're going to get a biblical mandate from just a, a statement about the surroundings there when it's not instructions on how to do it? But that is the type of foolishness that people are doing when it comes to the Lord's Supper. For some reason, people love to use the Lord's Supper as a thing of contention and they just get really out of hand with it. But the truth is, if you're going to get that literal, even if it... All right, I'll just give it to them. I just missed it. Let's say it's in there somewhere where the door was shut. Okay, well, you know what else we see in the Last Supper? I don't see any women in the Last Supper. There were women that were a part of the church. Mary Magdalene and Martha, they were referred to as disciples of Christ. How come Jesus didn't include them in the Last Supper? You know why? Because women aren't supposed to take the Lord's Supper. And when we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to have to tell all the ladies to take a hike too. Along with the visitors, we're going to throw them all out, lock the door, and we're going to take it without the women. Do we really think we're supposed to do that? But folks, if we're consistent in these type of goofy interpretations, we've got to throw the ladies out in the Lord's Supper because you show me in the Bible where they have women taking the Lord's Supper. I don't see it in there. But you know what? We're going to let women take the Lord's Supper. Because you can't show me where we're commanded to not let them take it. So just don't, don't be like that. And you know what else we need to do? We need to do foot washings. And some churches do that. They did same night they did the Lord's Supper, or the Last Supper, Jesus washed their feet. And we're not doing that. Okay? We're, that's not something we're going to do. You know, people will, a lot of how they do the Lord's Supper is like, is based on the intimacy that we see of the Lord's Supper, which it does, you know, you do kind of see that in there. But at the same time, I don't see a command for it to be that way in the Bible. Yes, I see that taking place, you know, in there. Yes, I see that setting in Da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper. But at the same time, do we see a command that we do that in the Lord, in the Bible? No. So we're not going to make a big deal about something like that. So hopefully we've established a few things. One, we should not use the Passover as a diagram. We shouldn't get dogmatic about the Lord's Supper based on what we read in the book of Acts. And we don't need to go overly literal on the Last Supper. We don't need to do that. The simple truth is that this is something that we shouldn't get too contentious about. And once again, you know I'm always ready to fight about stuff. And it's not that I'm just being loyal to my friend. I have, I never, in all my years of the ministry, have broken fellowship with somebody over the Lord's Supper. I've always thought that was foolish. I thought it was weird when I went to Heartland and they made a great. I mean, really, those are the three things. All right, King James, that's good. All right, I'm glad. You know, not being divorced, that's good. But then the Lord's Supper. Why don't we ask these people about their position on salvation? You know, why don't we ask them some of those? You know, the important things. They didn't even ask about baptism or anything like that. But yet, and that, that, is, that is a huge thing out there. And I think that's ridiculous. So, you know, the only chapter where we're really given any instruction is not even really instruction, but it's basically a rebuke for what they were doing wrong. So, for me to just get up here and just to beat my chest and proclaim, I know how to do the Lord's Supper biblically, exactly the way they did in the Bible, exactly the way the Apostle Paul would have done it, is extremely arrogant. And I don't know exactly how they did it, but here's what I do believe. I do believe that there are a few things that we see in 1 Corinthians 11 that are to be a part of the Lord's Supper. And I believe that it is up to the church to decide how they are going to do those things. 
And so there's other churches that have different ways of doing this, and that's fine. Now, of course, I think that our way is the best way. And I'm not trying to be funny, but if I thought somebody else's way was better, I would do it their way. But I'm pretty sure what we got going here is the best way to do it to follow the things that we see that we're actually supposed to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And if I am completely right and everyone else is completely wrong, so what? I don't see where we're supposed to unite with other churches on how we do this. But I will show you where we are supposed to unite in what we are doing. And while I'm fine with other churches doing their own thing and being different, I am not for everybody doing their own thing here in this church. I'm not for that at all. And I'll show you why as we go through 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So let's... um, so first off, though, I do want to say the Lord's Supper, we refer to it as one of the two ordinances that we have as Baptists. And, and don't get freaked out by that. We didn't come up with two ordinances based on something we read in the Bible. That is a Baptist distinctive, not a Bible distinctive. Ordinance can have many different definitions. Yes, in the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is commending them for keeping the ordinances, plural, Later, when he gets to the Lord's Supper, he said, I praise you not in this. But people say, well, that implies there's more than two ordinances. Well, the thing is, there are many, there's different, when it comes to ordinances, there's different categories. Okay? Because, for example, 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. First off, an ordinance is a tradition. That's one thing it can be. The Lord's Supper is a tradition. Now, people love to get freaked out. Traditions of men. Traditions of men. We're not supposed to get caught in the traditions of men. Well, actually, yeah, if they violate the Scriptures, but Paul right here, he's telling them to follow the traditions that you've been taught, whether by word, not the word, but by what we told you, or epistle by what he wrote to them. He says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you would draw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Here he's saying, look, these people that are going and doing their own thing, not following the traditions in your church that you receive from us, you better mark those people. You better watch those people. Traditions are fine as long as they don't go against the Word of God. And... The Lord's Supper is a tradition that we follow. An ordinance. And an ordinance can be a tradition. An ordinance can also be a law. Ordinances have many different meanings and that's why you see statements that look like they conflict sometimes. Because you see in 1 Peter 2.13, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Right there, the Bible says every ordinance. Any ordinance that comes up, we've got to follow. Every ordinance of man. Well, you've got to take that into context. Because you know, we see also in Colossians 2.20, Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not. Right there, in one passage, Paul's telling us to follow all the ordinances. In another passage, he's saying, touch not, taste not, handle not. You know why? Because there are different kinds of ordinances. There's different kinds. There's different categories. Yes, the same word is used, but you have to look at context. But people just see the Word and they want to run with it. And then they will tell you what ordinance means like it means that in every case. 
and then they'll use whatever verse fits they're trying to teach. But you can't you can't do that. So let's look at First Corinthians chapter eleven. Start reading in verse seventeen, and let's see what we are actually supposed to get from this. So it says, "Now this I declare unto you, or now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not." So he's rebuking them here. It says that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. So first thing, he's dealing with their behavior when they come together. Okay, that's that's what he's specifically dealing with. Let's not get sidetracked on what he's going on. He's talking to the church and he's saying, Here we've got a problem with what's going on when you come together. When you come together, you're not coming together for the better, but for the worse. When we come together, it ought to be you know, we ought to be provoking each other to love and good works. We should, when we come together, it shouldn't create more problems. It shouldn't make us less spiritual. It ought to be helping. And he said, the problem is, so now he starts getting specific. He doesn't just say it's for the worse, and then that's just a blanket statement meaning all that. No, there's specific things. There's specific problems. He gets specific. And the, the problem was that there were divisions among the people. We talked about unity this morning. We need to be united as a congregation. And we had they had divisions in the church. This was a problem. And any every pastor is going to get freaked out when there's divisions going on. It can cause a lot of problems. It can lead to great a great deal of hardships. <clears throat> so the problem when they came together, the problem was not that they were taking the Lord's Supper together, but that there were divisions. That's what he's rebuking them for, because there's divisions. And when it comes to the Lord's Supper, we will see there is a call for unity. There is a call for unity in the Lord's Supper. Because the body of Christ, that is the one thing we all have in common. Everybody, we've got all kinds of different people in here, different backgrounds, different colors, different everything. But you know what we all have in common and why we are here? Jesus Christ. We were not all led to Jesus Christ by the same person. We were led to Christ by many different people. But what ultimately brought us all together was Jesus Christ. And the one thing we all have in common is the body of Christ. The one thing that we claim as proof of our salvation, it is not our works, but it is the works of Jesus Christ. It is His shed blood. That is what we all have in common. And when it comes to us observing something that looks back and that represents the body of Christ, it's very important that we be united on that and not be fighting on that kind of thing. If we have somebody in our church that thinks, well, you know, I'll take the Lord's Supper, but I don't think it represents Jesus. I think it represents Muhammad. You're out of here. You're in the wrong place. You know, we're not gonna, we're, we're not gonna have divisions. And so it says in verse 16, the cup of blessing, or this is in 1 Corinthians 10, if you go back one chapter, he says the cup of blessing, verse 16, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? <clears throat> the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. So do you all see how this is what we have in common? That's why we call it communion. Alright, this is something that we have in common. This is something that we do together. The body and the blood of Christ. That is what we all have in common. We remember His righteousness, not our righteousness. Back to chapter 11, verse 19. He's saying, so here's why there's divisions among you, for there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest on you. So the heresies were manifested by the lack of unity. Paul could see the lack of unity that's in this church is like there's obviously heresies being preached in this church. 
or not being preached so much, maybe from the pulpit, but being taught by the people in that church. Because this isn't right. This isn't normal. When it comes to the body of Christ, when it comes to the Lord, this ought to be something we can easily unite on. This ought to be something we can easily come together on. But we've got divisions going on. There must be some heresies being preached in that church. He, he was able to see right through that. He was able to see what was going on. Verse 20. So then he says, and this is the verse that people they, they take too far. Not th- taking the entire passage in context. It says, "...when ye come together therefore into one place..." This is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Okay, and then people right there. And it's nice, isn't it nice when you have one verse that just makes it really clear, like believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved? But not everything's like that in the Bible. Sometimes you've got to read the whole chapter. Sometimes you have to look at context. Why would and the thing is, I mean, if that's what he's saying, you know, why would you know, that just kind of seems weird how he just threw it in there? Why is he why is he worried about the divisions in the church? If there's no need for unity, if, we're, if this is something everybody does in their own houses, then why are we worried about that? Why is the problem when they come together, they're coming together for the worse? And the problem was that they were taking the Lord's Supper together. Truth is, if the Lord's Supper was something that was supposed to be done separately in their houses, why are we worrying about when they come together? Paul's concerned about what's happening when they come together, they're coming together for the worse. So what does that mean though? What does that passage mean when it says, when you come together, therefore into one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper? Well, here's a few different ways you could look at it. I think any of these are probably fine, but he could just be saying that they should not, you know, he could be saying they should not eat the Lord's Supper together in a church setting. If we are just going to take that verse by itself, okay, that's one way to interpret it. In order to make sure, we need to look at the rest of the chapter. But that verse by itself, you could say that. Another way you could look at it, just from that one verse, he's saying that every time you come together, it's not for the purpose of taking the Lord's Supper. You know, that's not you know that's not why we come together every week to take the Lord's Supper. You know, we come to, we come together every week to have church, to fellowship, and sometimes we have the Lord's Supper. And that's one, if we're just going to take that one verse by itself, that's another way you could say it. Another thing you'd be saying, you could be saying is that the Lord's Supper is not a time for you to stuff your face or to fill your belly. Now, that's what I think he's personally saying. Now, that, that's hard to get that just from that verse. But we're not going to use just that verse. We're going to see the rest of what he's been talking about in this passage. And I personally think that's what he's talking about based on what we see in the rest of the passage. Because in the very next verse... So when you come together into one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and what is hungry, and another is drunken. In other words, here's the problem. You've got one person, they're stuffing their face, they're drunken. You've got another one that's hungry, they didn't get anything. Now how in the world are we supposed to be united and have these, all the things in common when we're sitting there and we've got half the audience, they've all got a big hunk of bread and stuff in their face and the other half of the audience doesn't have anything. And we're trying to remember the Lord's Supper. And then, you know, you got the guy in the church that has an issue like I do of getting hangry. And he's sitting there and he's like, man, you know, they didn't need that big of a piece of bread. And here I am hungry. And look how fat that guy is. You know, he doesn't need that big of a piece. You know, this is a problem, and that's exactly what's going on right here. 
Hey, you know, you we're not doing they weren't doing it together. They didn't have all things in common in this situation. And so what did he say in verse 22? What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. I praise you not, not in that why are you having the Lord's Supper when you come together, but why are you all just being pigs about this thing and not sharing? That's what the problem is. I'm not going to praise you in this. You know, how would we feel as a church? How would it look if when we went downstairs this afternoon and we had our fellowship, if half people had got food and great big old piles on their plate and the other half didn't get anything? And we just looked and was like, well, you know what? You should have brought more food. You know? You know, and we're kind of shaming these people and they're all just kind of sitting over there hungry. You know? And is that what we want? No. You know what you're supposed, you know, my dad used to always say this and always tell people, and it's like, when you have a fellowship, you ought to bring enough to feed your family and a little extra for someone else. And if everybody does that, we're going to have plenty of food. And, you know, and fellowship, that's not the same as the Lord's Supper. But the truth is, these people were treating it like a fellowship where they were coming together to stuff their face. And folks, when we met this afternoon, we came together to stuff our face. Okay? We didn't. That wasn't about remembering the body and the blood of Christ. We came to stuff her face. Alright? And how many did a good job of that? Alright? You know, I, I ate pretty good I, this afternoon. And I didn't see anybody sitting there like, there's nothing to eat. Unless it's, it's, there's always that one picky person, you know, usually me, who just doesn't like anything. But, you know, they were only thinking about satisfying their own bellies. That's not what we're supposed to do when we're remembering the body and the blood of Christ. Be thinking about our own stinking belly. So verse 23 says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take heed, this is My body, which is broken for you. Here's where we get a clear commandment of what the Lord's Supper is about. This do in remembrance of Me. That is one thing that is clear when it comes to the Lord's Supper. It's not this do in remembrance of your stomach. It's this due in remembrance of me. That is why we do the Lord's Supper. We're remembering Him. He wants us to have a time that's special where we remember Him and we remember what He did. That's a clear command right there. That's real clear right there. We better be remembering Jesus. And you know, we shouldn't do things that would sidetrack us from that. You know, the truth is, if somebody wants to have, if a church wants to have the Lord's Supper and have people do it in their homes, invite other people over and do it like that, I can't tell you that's biblically wrong. But I will say, I believe it ought to be done decently in order, and I hope they put some regulations on that. I hope they don't all take the Lord's Supper while they're sitting there and the TV's on watching the football game too. You know, I hope when they do the Lord's Supper like that, that it is just that the Lord's Supper and it's not a feast where they stuff their faces too. Because the truth is, if everybody's doing their own thing in their houses, it would be real easy for it to get out of hand. It would be real easy for it to, for them to do some of the things that are doing in here, and that's dangerous. So I think it's best for us to just all do it together. We don't have to worry about it. I don't have to police it. I don't, you know, we don't need to send officers from the church, you know, to all, you know, to all the house. And really, that's probably what they should do. If they're just going to do that, they probably ought to make sure like a deacon's present at each one of those things or the pastor. And I'm not going to everyone's house and doing the Lord's Supper. I think we just do it all here at the same time. I think that's better. 
But verse 25, same thing. As often as ye drink this, do in remembrance of Me. That is a command. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till He come. Looks like this is a tradition we're supposed to keep doing until He comes. This wasn't just something they did back then. No, we're going to do it until He comes. That's when we'll quit. One of these days we'll quit the Lord's Supper. When He comes. Until then, we're doing remembering. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, right here, this is one where the old IFB got it wrong. The old IFB got out of hand with this. They said, you, you better not take that cup of the Lord unworthily. And you know, we're going to have us an invitation before we take the Lord's Supper tonight. We're going to give you a chance to get your hearts right with God. We're going to give you a chance to get right with your neighbor. But when you take that Lord's Supper, you got sin in your life, you're going to drop dead. Okay? And then, and here, but here's the problem with that, okay? Now we've created two problems. We've actually created a division in the church. Because now you've got the people taking the Lord's Supper, they think they're right with God. But then, you've got the holier than thou's that are so holy, they'll admit that they're not holy. And they don't take the Lord's Supper. You know, because they're real humble. I know I'm not right with God. Now, you know, do y'all see the division? So here's the thing. If taking it unworthily means, you know, you are worthy to take it, then shouldn't there be some kind of qualifier in this passage? There should be a qualifier in this passage. And the truth is, there is a qualifier in this passage, but unworthy, or unworthy, that word is only used in the Bible two times and it's in this passage. Unworthily, it doesn't mean like unworthy like you are unworthy. You know, have somebody come forward to take the Lord's Supper and like, you are unworthy. You didn't pay your tithe this week. You know, <laughs> out. You know, you're unworthy. You're a woman. Where do you see women do it in the Last Supper? You know, you know, that's not what that means. Okay? That, that's not what that's talking about at all. Okay? What, what does that mean? Well, let's read a few more verses. Says, but let a man examine himself. Right there, there's it. Let a man. We got to examine ourselves. We got to figure out if we're right with God. Okay, but we all have sin. So there's got to be some kind of qualifier in there. What is he talking about when he says, "Let a man examine himself"? Is it to figure out if we're really saved or not? Because that's the way some people in the old IFB do it. Well, are we really supposed to have a thing every year where we try to figure out if we're saved? Shouldn't we already have that nailed down? That's something we ought to have nailed down pretty good. That's not what that's talking about. It says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. The unworthily, it does not mean you are not worthy, but it means you are treating it unworthily. You are treating it, alright, and I hate to use a dictionary, alright, but that word, it means irreverently. It means, and, and you can get that from it. So, for, so what it is, you know, you're treating it with a lack of respect, as though it is unworthy. But, folks, I understand it's just a cup of grape juice. Yes, but it represents the blood of Christ. It's not literally the blood of Christ. Obviously, we know that we're not Catholics. We're not. We don't believe in a hocus pocus. All right. But if we have a cup, and we're using it to remember the blood of Christ, should I not treat it with some respect? You know, do I should I be asking for a great big tumbler of it? 
Because, man, I really like grape juice. But I'll tell you, that little cup, it's just not doing it for me. Well, who cares? You want that? Do it at home. Well, you know, I, that little piece of bread, it's just not doing it for me. I'm hungry. Well, you should have ate at home. We're not here to fill our bellies. We're not here to satisfy our hunger. We're here to remember the Lord. So you know what we're going to do? You're going to eat that little piece of bread and you know what? You're going to treat it with respect. You're going to treat it with some reverence. Why? Because it represents the Lord's body. And if it represents the Lord's body, you know what? I'm going to treat it as though it were worthy. It doesn't mean I am not worthy. That's not what that means. It means it's how we treat it. So the old IV got that wrong. All right? Now I'm all for checking yourself. I'm all for getting things right. But I do not believe we should be using the Lord's Supper as a time to just air out all our dirty laundry. All right, and before we take the Lord's Supper tonight, I know there's been some contention in the church. You know, Brother Brian, you know, you need to get right, Brother Josh. You know, I knew I saw that argument you had out in the parking lot. You might drop dead after we take that Lord's Supper. You know, and then also all these can of worms are getting opened up. That's not a line, folks. That's not. We're not here to you know do all. We're here to remember the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to show some respect to it. We're not going to make it a time where we stuff our face and we fill our belly with these things. We're just going to do... And that's why I think it's appropriate to do the little piece. Now, some preachers, they'll actually make bread and break it. Now, is that wrong? No, that's not wrong. So they broke bread. You're not breaking bread with those little things. Wow. Is, is that a command that has to actually be broken? Okay. Here's what's clear. We're supposed to do it in remembrance of Christ. We're supposed to do it with reverence. And when we do the little things like that, nobody sits there looking at that bread like licking their lips, man. I'm excited about this. But you know what you all would do? If I actually went and made unleavened bread and I broke off big pieces for you, and you ate it, the first thing, I promise, the first thing that would cross your mind if we broke tradition of how we've been doing it and we did it that way, and I gave you a big piece of bread, one of two things is going to cross your mind. This is good. Or, I don't like this very much. We're supposed to be remembering Christ. And what are you doing? You're judging my cooking. That's what you'd be doing. Because isn't that just what we do? And, you know, and then, and some of you too, you're so stinking carnal. You're, you know, I'm breaking the bread. I'm going to give somebody a bigger piece than you. And it's going to bother you because you forgot to eat before you came to church because you forgot we were doing the Lord's Supper and you're hungry. And you really would have liked a bigger piece. But the truth is, our pieces we give, they're all equal, aren't they? The cups we give, they're all equal, aren't they? There's not enough there to satisfy any craving of the flesh forcing us to do what it's supposed to do and only remember Jesus Christ and what He did for us. That's that's why we're going to keep doing it the way we're doing it. If people have a different way of doing it, if they want to break the bread, if they want to give every big old loaf of bread or whatever, that's fine. They can do that if they want, but I think what we're doing is better, in my opinion. And if I'm right and they're wrong, there's no consequence. But we're gonna that's the way we're gonna do it, and we ought to be on the same page on that. Because you can't eat or drink damnation to yourself. So you know, some people think, well, you know, as long as you're saved, you're fine. Well, not necessarily, because if you're taking it in the wrong way, then you're doing it unworthily. You're, you're treating it irreverently. And that's wrong. Because notice what it says in verse 30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Now, when is it ever called lost people asleep when they're dead? 
That's a, that's a term reserved for saved people who are dead. Some of these people have gotten so out of line, God killed them. Why? Because they were making a mockery of the Lord's Supper, making it just like one of their old pagan feasts that they used to do, where they'd all get together and stuff their faces. And that is not what it was supposed to do. And so right here, this proves that saved people can take the Lord's Supper unworthily. That's exactly what they did. So for it says in verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. This is why we will continue to practice closed communion. Because we are supposed to judge ourselves. If you want to judge, if, you know, if other churches want to judge them that are without too, that's fine. They can do that. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I, I think that would be counterproductive. People can take the Lord's Supper in their own church. That's fine. They, they don't have to do it wherever they're at, but we're going to judge ourselves. And isn't that what I've been talking about? As a church, we have the right we have the responsibility to judge ourselves and make some of our own decisions and things. And so, we have judged this, and I believe what we're doing is the best way of doing it. And I don't want, because I don't want to be judged of God. I'm not going to let another church judge me on how I do this. That's not, that's not appropriate. So, the Corinthians should have been able to come together and figure out how to do the Lord's Supper in a proper way. He didn't go and say, listen, you know, this is why we have this passage of the scripture that gives us all the details. He didn't do that. He's like, you ought to be able to judge yourselves. All the Lord has commanded us to do is have a time where we remember His body and remember His blood through the drinking of the grape juice, through the eating of unleavened bread. Figure it out. And that's all I do with my kids sometimes. When they're out of line, they can't get along. Just tell them, you do not want me to come in there and to referee every little thing you're doing. Figure it out. You ought to be able to do that. And as a church we should be able to figure out how to do the Lord's Supper for ourselves. And we can figure that out. Coming together, we can come to an agreement on that. And the thing telling me that that's where we figure out how to do it. Not necessarily from something we read in the book of Acts. Or something that we get from the Passover. We are allowed to do this. And that's why I'm not going to break fellowship with other churches that do it different. They have that right. We, But we though... As a church, when we're doing it, we have been called to be united. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. Y'all see that? When ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. So you know, when we have our Lord's Supper, we're going to do it decently and in order. There's going to be a process to it, there's going to be a way that we're doing it. It's not going to be a race. It's not going to be something that we're, you know, we're... There's going to be some order to it. We're going to make sure everyone's ready. You know, and we're going, to, you know, we're going to have a process where people kind of know what's going on. Why? Because we're trying to do this together. And we do. I read that verse where it says, Take eat. This is My body which is broken for you. This do remembers Me. And we all eat it at the same time. And then I read the verse about took, at the same hour He took the cup. And when He had drank it, yeah, you say, yeah, and, then, and then we all do it at the same time. Why? We're doing it all together. Why? Because we are, we have been called to be united on this. And let me tell you something. Churches who have decided they want it done in people's homes, that's fine. But let me tell you something. In this church, if you're a part of this church, you should do it the way this church does it. If you go to a church that does it that way, you should do it that way. 
But if you go to this church and you're doing the Lord's Supper at home just because you like some other pastor better than you like me, then you know, that's fine. I'm not going to stop you, but you know what? Don't take it here. When we have the Lord's Supper here, stay home that night. Don't take it. You're not united with us. You're not of one mind. You know, and so you know what? You're, you're the kind that causes divisions. We're here to remember the body and the blood of Christ. So if you want to do it that way, go ahead. We won't stop you, but don't do it here. And if we know you're doing your own thing at home and then you, and we find out you're trying to do it here too, we're going to have a problem. Why? Because we're supposed to be united and two, concerned for you because you're doing it unworthily. You're doing it irreverently. You think you can just do your own thing because you're you. No, this is something that God gave to the church. And the church can decide how they want to do it. And we better be united. If any man hunger... So right there, verse 33, Wherefore my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home. Okay. Now, if the Lord's Supper is commanded to be at home, why is He bringing this up right here? He's bringing this up right here because once again, when ye come together... Therefore, together into one place. It is not to eat the Lord's Supper. We're not here to stuff our faces. If you want to stuff your face, and folks, nobody loves to stuff their face better than me. I love to stuff my face. I love I stuff my face better than anybody else in the world. Kind of a Donald Trump thing right there. You know, I probably know more about stuffing face than anybody else. Nobody, nobody likes it better than I do. But we will never do that for the Lord's Supper. And the truth is, I've never seen a church that does that. You know why? Because Paul nipped that thing in the bud 2,000 years ago. And that's what that's talking about. If any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. Stuffing your face is to be done at home. And I believe the best way for us to follow what is clear when it comes to the Lord's Supper is for us as, us as a church to do it all together. We will eat the small pieces of bread. We will drink the small cups. There is no satisfying of the flesh with those things, and it makes it easier to remember Jesus Christ, which is what we have been commanded to do. Amen. That is what we've been commanded to do. We will all do it together because the body of Christ is one thing that we all have in common. It's, and when we do it, we will be united. That is also something we've been commanded to do. And we will continue to practice a closed communion because we do not believe in a universal church. Okay? I don't always know the testimony of visitors that come in, and I'm not going to give them the third degree. If somebody walks in five minutes before service, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. I'm not going to do that. It's going to get out of order real quick if we do that. There's a lot of false doctrine being taught out there in the Lord's Supper. I don't have time to straighten everybody else out on this when they come in. So we're not we're not we're not doing it to be mean. It's not that there's anything wrong with these people. You know, they're a part of another church's. But this is something. When we do the Lord's Supper, it's for our church. It's for us. We are a church, and other people, they're fellow Christians, but they're in their own churches too. We're separate churches. We're independent churches. And if you're a part of this church, then you will be able to do it. And another thing we will, we will continue to do, we will continue to fellowship with those who do not observe the Lord's Supper exactly the way we do. Because there is no reason for us to get contentious when it comes from what people do from church to church and that issue, they have the authority to decide how they're going to do it. I hope they're doing it decently and in order. I hope they're keeping some of these things established in there. 
Obviously, I think my way is the best or I would do it their way. But if their way is not as good, it's not going to hurt us one bit. And it probably won't even hurt them. Because of the fact that is, you know, it's not spelled out in the Bible. And so, we're not going to get contentious about this. And if nut jobs want to write letters to other pastors tattling on me, because I don't do it exactly the way I do, and accuse me of attacking the Lord's Supper. How did I attack the Lord's Supper tonight? Did I attack the Lord's Supper? I think I made a really big deal about how important it is and how much respect that we ought to give it. And that's why I'm actually careful about it. And I'm not going to go listen to a pastor just preach a sermon somewhere and then just all of a sudden, boom, we're doing it at home this week. I'm not that careless about it because I understand why we do it and what it represents. And we don't ever want to forget that. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. I pray You'll help us to remember these things. Help us to continue this practice till You come and help us to keep it in the right way where we remember You, Lord. We thank You for Your shed blood and Your broken body that was for us. And Lord, we help us always remember that is what we have in common. It is You. It is not, it is not us. It is not anything else. It is You. You are what we have in common. And help us never forget it. In Your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead.